listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers interviewed by New York's first citizen. It's the Cats Roundtable. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katzmatiz here. It's Sunday morning. We have a great show for you today. Uh, we have Bob Hoogan on what's going on in New Jersey. Dr. Sky, when we look up in the skies, what are we going to see this weekend? Governor Patterson, Peter King, Zach Williams on the problems of New York and Albany. Dr. Peter Michalos, how are we going to live longer? And to start off the show, let's have Dick Morris. What the heck is going on in Washington? So there's a new poll out that um, really lifted my spirits this morning. It's from a company called Economist slash YouGov, the magazine Economist. And um, they're a normally Democratic polling firm. And they say that Trump has increased his favorable ratio from 38% to uh, 43%, and decreased his unfavorable rating from 56% to 48%, so it amounts to a net gain of 18 in his favorability. Uh, put another way, he used to be underwater 38 to 56 now he's underwater 45, 43, much, much closer. Well, look, and we both know him for a long time. He's a very, very smart guy. Uh, and uh, certainly I believe that if he was president, some of the mess that we're going in right now it wouldn't happen. But he creates his own banana peel sometimes by uh, uh, saying things that I don't think he should say. What say you? Yeah, that's true. But he's been he's shut up for the last six weeks or so, ever since the Kanye West crap. Uh, he hasn't put his foot in it. And uh, and I the key what the, the key Con, Bob, Bob West Kanye West and ever since he uh, screwed that up uh, he hasn't done anything bad and he's been fairly self disciplined which I think is new to him and uh, I think that it's going to continue and he also has been out there in public with some good speeches about free speech. He did one yesterday about China trying to buy America, and uh, his acceptance, his announcement speech, I thought was very good. And um, I think that these positive speeches, as opposed to criticizing people, except Biden, uh, are really helping. And of course, it coincides with Biden's document mess, where early in the mess, like early in the week, they had him down by three points in approval from the mid 40s to 41. Uh, but by now he's probably into the 30s. So um, this will be the first time since Trump announced that he's moved out to a fairly dominant lead. And these things come and go, of course. We've got two years to go. But it is significant because when you put controversial as Trump is, his approval rating goes up and goes down and up and down. It's like being on the beach. And you want to see where the seaweed is, if that's the high water mark. That's how easily, that's where the water can come to, fairly easily. And you got to know that if that the tide is not quite up there yet, be patient. In a few hours, it will be. And I think that being at 48-45 in a general election sample, not just Republicans, but Democrats and Independents, 
is a very good high water mark for him, and um, one that I think he will be able to attend to again and again. I think it means that the voters are cutting him some slack because they see how rotten everything out there. On the Democratic side, uh, uh, President Biden has announced he's not going to make a decision. He's going to wait till after the State of the uh, Union speech in February yeah. sometime. And I think he's afraid that if he announces in the teeth of this archive scandal, it'll all be buried by the scandal. But the question is, will there ever be clear sailing? And that's not clear because the Republicans control the House and subpoena power, and their investigations will always cloud his fortunes over. So we need to stay tuned on that. Look, the entire Democratic Party wants to get rid of him. They all understand he's too old and too feeble and all of that. But they're afraid to ditch him because they're afraid of who'll take his place and they're afraid of splitting the party in the face of Trump. And uh, that's causing a discipline in the Democratic Party. It is very unusual. They usually say Democrats form a firing squad in a circle, shooting each other. And uh, the, this kind of discipline in the party is very unusual. And I think it's going to crack fairly soon. The emperor has no clothes. And when, I think what's going to happen is some guy like a Beto O'Rourke or Tim Ryan in Ohio, or, they start saying that a lot of people will. So we have to watch. But this vulnerability comes at a very bad time for Biden. And it's a very good time to Trump as long as he does, doesn't put his foot in it. Understood. Now, you're going to be on at uh, noontime today on Sunday on WABCradio.com, 770 on your dial, 77 WABC on your iPhone. Yep. What? We'll be talking about this and everything else. Uh, well, thank you, Dick Morris, and let's catch up again real soon. I look forward to listening to your noontime show today. Take that. Thank you. Take care. There's so many problems going on in New York. What's going on in New Jersey? With us today is uh, from the GOP, we have Bob Hugan, and uh, he is uh, chairman. What's going on in New Jersey? Albany is a mess. I hope New Jersey is better. Hey, listen, Albany is just a disaster, but Trenton makes Albany look like a, a smooth functioning machine. The first thing I do is congratulate you guys on making this swap, this helping us take control of the House of Representatives. What you guys did with Lee Zeldin and, and the swaps with Lawler and everybody else that you won made such a difference for our country. So thank you for what you're doing in New, Jersey, uh, New York to make it better. New Jersey, we did help, too. We got Tom Kane elected in CD7, so we added to that helping Republicans take back the House also. How many Jersey congressmen that you have now? How many Democrats and how many Republicans? I hate to even say it, right? Ten years ago, we were six, six, six Republicans, six Democrats. We got totally hammered in 18, and uh, President Trump is not, not very popular in New Jersey. We went down to 11 Democrats and one Republican. Jeff Andrews switched to 10 to 2. We got gerrymandered to 9 to 3, and then Tom Kane won in November. So it's nine Democrats, three Republicans, but thank God we're back to three all the way up from one. But we, have, we really need to get, I mean, once the redistricting happens again, but not for another eight years, we're going to have to really fight it out hard. But this year, we're so excited. This is, this is a big year for New Jersey because I think we're the only state in the country that has all of our assembly up and all of our House uh, uh, Senate up. So we've got all 40 seats in the Senate and all 80 seats in the assembly up. 
And this redistricting was not gerrymandered. Democrats and Republicans agreed to a consensus map. We have a path to a majority in New Jersey to get 21 senators and 41 assembly people. And this state, John, is so is so backwards. It's so they want to be the, the California of the East Coast. That's what Governor Murphy says. We're going to make New Jersey the most woke state in the country, out topping California. He wants windmills out in the ocean that we don't have the technology. For well, I had an argument. Whales. We had an argument the other day on uh, our show on Thursday. Uh, we had this uh, whale expert on, and she says it's not. I, I said to her, when, they, when, when they're blowing up the ocean to put the foundation, or where they put the windmills on, that's what's killing the whales. In the wintertime, when there's like one-tenth the number of boats and ships out there as there are in the summertime. And the other one that gets you is look at New England, what they're doing to the lobster industry in the right whale. There's no evidence that lobster nets have killed one right whale, and now they're trying to destroy the lobster industry in New England. These progressives have gone off the it, reservation. It depends, it depends which progressives we're talking about, Maine, Massachusetts, or New Jersey. Exactly. But I'll have to tell you, they're, 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 they don't want us to be proud of America. They don't want us to do the kind of things to make our country great. And we're so excited that we really have great candidates. I hope you can follow this election coming up in November because – we're going we're gonna to take back the governor in 25, and we're going to take the House and the, Assembly, the Senate and Assembly in the, in the next election, at least make big gains there, and really show the way that reasonable people need to govern our states, not nutcase people who don't really care about the economy and jobs and the quality of people's life, the education of their kids, government overreach for the COVID nonsense. It's time that we take our country and our states back. I, I agree 100% is the fact we need some common sense. And and these windmills, besides, I'm not against wind energy, but these windmills, besides, besides harming the whales, you know how many millions oh. of birds they're killing? Oh, it's, it's not, not only that, we don't even know the damage from running all that electricity all the way from 30 miles offshore what is that electricity, that magno, uh, magnetic electricity doing to the populations of fish under the water we don't know about? The thing that gets me the most about it is I'm, I'm for renewable energy. I believe, I love the, I'm a fisherman, I, believe, I love the environment. I agree with you. I agree with you. I and love we, the environment, be that and way. but I love animals too. Yeah, and, and, but that's part of the environment. But, but the worst thing about it, they don't even have the evidence that this is feasible. The technology of battery storage from wind energy isn't there yet. We, they're years ahead of themselves. Even if we could solve the problems of protecting the birds and the whales and all this other stuff that we all care about, if we, if we, we can't do it if we don't have the technology. They're, they're jamming this on us. It's raising our costs, damaging the environment, and we're not technologically ready for it yet. I agree 110%. Uh we got another minute or so left. What else would you like to tell all New Jerseyites, all New Yorkers, all Pennsylvaniaites? I mean, we're, we're all over the East Coast. I have to tell the people of New Jersey that for the first time in a long time, we have a light at the end of the tunnel. And it ain't a freaking freight train coming to run us down with Democratic progressive strategies. We have hope again, and you've got to get re believe that again. We're going to win again. We've got to tell people that's our chance. Look at New York. Look at Tom Kane in New Jersey. Look at the things we, 
in 21, we won 130 net seats in New Jersey. Last year, we won like 25 or 30 net seats, local, municipal, county, statewide. So we're, we're moving in the right direction. There is hope. Don't give up. Now's the time to invest. Support our candidates. Get out there and volunteer. Make a difference. Make sure you vote. You get out and vote. Your vote's going to count. We're focused on election, election integrity. It's time for us to take our state back. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to make that case to everybody. And that's the same in Connecticut and New York. We all should be feeling the same way. We've got to stand, back, stand up and take our states back. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Bob Hugan. And uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks a lot, Jess. Cats. Thank See you, you later. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. I am the guy in the sky looking at you. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he always talks to us every weekend. So when we look up in the sky during the weekend and we try to relax, we, we dream a little bit and find out what the heck is going on. Uh, Steve Cates, how are you this uh, Sunday morning? Good, John. Good to be with you on this Sunday morning, as always. Many things happening in our skies, but I wanted to make a little bit of an alert here on your radio show across the nation. We have a comet called Comet ZTF, and we've talked about this just a little bit in previous episodes. But this particular comet is going to get closer to the Earth sometime around February 2nd, some 26 million miles away. But the truth is, always on your show, this particular comet, you're going to need a pair of binoculars to see. But what's exciting, as the moon now, John, is at a new face, meaning it's not bright. People who are listening across the nation and around the world If you look into the early morning sky in the north, of course, you'll be able to see the comet. It hasn't been around here in the sun and Earth's vicinity since 50,000 years ago. And, John, they can learn so much more by going to the Dr. Sky Experience blog at WABCradio.com. I'm going to go out early tomorrow morning and take a look and hope other people do. So these comets are quite fascinating, don't you think? Oh, I I think they are fascinating, and, and it's amazing that some of them don't come around for a thousand years, and and how they they just keep going and going and going, and where they've been, and it's it's really amazing. Uh, but I'm interested though uh, of anything. What else is new? Well, John, I got some really good news here. The mystery of the week has to do with Mars, and here's something that most people don't realize: Why are the sunsets on Mars blue and not red? Well, John, on Earth, the sun's light is scattering the shortest wavelengths of light, violet and blue, via the Earth's atmosphere. That was discovered by Lord Kelvin and Lord Raleigh, I should say, back in 1871. So as we know, when the sun sets, light is scattered, the blue wavelengths disperse, and we see more of the longer wavelengths of yellow and red. But, John, not so much on Mars. Obviously, this is a strange conundrum here. Its atmosphere is mostly made of carbon dioxide and iron-rich dust which creates a red sky in the day, and at sunset, the dust particles preserve the short blue wavelengths, giving us a blue sunset on the planet Mars. But, John, that's incredible because if you looked in the sky and don't stare at the sun, we know the size of the sun, but on Mars, the sun, is so because it's so far away, is only two-thirds the size of the size of the sun we see here. But I find it fascinating that if we were to go to Mars, you and I and the listeners— we would see a red sky in day, and we would see a blue sky at sunset. So a totally different dynamic 
for those first explorers that hopefully go to Mars, well, maybe sometime in what? Uh, maybe the next 20 years? We hope even sooner? Well, they, they, they've said it could be sooner. Uh, the other problem that Dr. Michalos came up with, that the, yes. travel, the, the, the travel there could kill them with all the uh, cosmic rays. John, that's absolutely right. And, you know, something we should report, Dr. Mikolos is always right on this. Cosmic rays are what can penetrate the human body. They're going through us right as we speak right now, but not to worry. We find out that when solar activity is high, there's kind of a bubble around the sun which kind of protects us from cosmic rays. So when solar cycles decrease, yes, indeed, cosmic rays permeate more of the universe. But he's right, and this is true. We need to develop spacecraft that have some incredible shielding, almost like body armor for uh, cosmic rays. And unless we can do that, not only that, Dr. Mikolos would be able to explain it even better than I could, what happens to the human body in space? We know very briefly that bone deterioration happens. One of the Kelly brothers that went up, I think it was Scott, he came back and his bones were weak and you see these things happening. So we have a lot of preparation to do in order to do these long-duration space missions, which obviously are on the table. So there's so many things to report. And, John, there's one more thing to mention, too, as we call it the live sky. This weekend, if your skies are clear, take a look on Monday evening, right after sunset, look in the southwest. What are you going to see? Venus, the brightest planet of all in our sky, the goddess of love and beauty. Saturn as a planet, and Venus will be less than a third of a degree in the sky. This is a conjunction and it's something I didn't want the listeners of your show to miss. So take advantage of that as we move deeper into 2023. What other news would you have for us? Anything from Venus? Well, John, I have something. No, they're saying right now that maybe the atmosphere of Venus could be a harboring area for life instead of even on Mars. And we're trying to find out about what the depth of these phosphines, these chemicals, organic compounds, are, are in the Venusian atmosphere. And we're also finding out that a new class of asteroids, John, has been detected. As we all knew from grammar school, most asteroids lie between Mars and Jupiter. But in this particular case, we're finding out that the planet Venus may have its own array of asteroids themselves. So I guess we have to kind of watch out when we see so many hundreds of thousands of these objects. But the planet Venus, John, is one of the planets that get it is the closest planet to the Earth when it can happen. It can get within 25 million miles of the Earth, eclipsing Mars's close distance of 35 million miles. And take a look at it, because you'll see it with the naked eye. And why is it so bright? It's bright, John, because it reflects more light than it gets from the sun. The clouds in the Venusian atmosphere are like a mirror. And Venus, the goddess of love and beauty, her planetary symbol is what? She's kind of a narcissist, and she's holding a hand mirror looking at herself. So we all can look at the beauty of Venus as we look into the southwest at sunset on Monday evening. Dr. Steve Cates, thank you so much, uh, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. But thank you for expanding our minds. Thank you, John. Always happy to be on your show, and always remind people to keep their eyes to the skies and check our blog and our podcast, The Dr. Sky Experience, here at WABCRadio.com. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's PriorityGoldGuide.com. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Only in America can a guy from anywhere go to sleep a pauper and wake up a millionaire. With us today is Governor David Patterson. And there's so many things happening in Albany. Nobody knows who's on first base, who's on second base, who's on third base. But maybe Governor Patterson can explain to us better. How are you, Governor, this morning? Well, I'm good, but I don't know how they're doing in Albany, as everybody knows. Governor Hochul, I thought, uh, bravely picked the person she thought was the best candidate, which was LaSalle. And they promptly announced that they weren't going to vote for her. And to make sure that she couldn't get out of committee, they added four members to the to the committee. Then when... Uh, she didn't get out. They said that they don't. it doesn't need to go to the Senate because it didn't get out of a committee, which I think violates uh, the Constitution, which uh, says that the Senate, not a committee of the Senate, but the Senate itself confirms the appointment, or if they don't, they don't confirm it. And so it's a real mess. And, uh, of course, <laughs> after the battle after the dust clears, the media starts writing things like a Hochul's experiment to try to exert her control of the legislature. That's not an experiment. It was her constitutional duty. She had to pick a judge. So uh, clearly, once again, the media is even behind the legislators in, in the uh, demonstration of incompetence. But I think the important issue to remember is it's a loss for the governor. He looks bad for a couple of days. Four Budget will be passed under her as soon as she serves out her term. And now, now, what goes governor, around comes around. Governor, on Friday afternoons uh, or Friday morning's news was that she's going she's gonna to continue to battle, and now the battle is going to turn to the budget, which uh, I think at one time you as the former governor know the fact that you have to sign to get the budget done. Otherwise, the legislature is in deep trouble. That's exactly right. And one of the things that I did to the legislature when they started messing around with me in 2010 is that I eliminated all of their member items. And that that was as dear to them as uh, their families and their bank accounts. And what they did was they tried to, they sent the, the uh, member items all to me uh, in, instead of uh, wire transfer on paper. It was a pile of uh, member item requests that was four and a half feet high. And I sat there and single-handedly vetoed every single one of them. And they didn't even attempt to overturn the veto after that. And I think this is the kind of, of effort that the governor can wage if she is not the one calling the shots in the budget. And so it was penny wise, I guess, for the legislature to stop her appointee to the court. But I think pound foolish because there are going to be a lot of things that they're going to want 
that they're not going to get now. Or as they say, what goes around comes around. It could come to a situation where they have a longer-term agreement to be civilized, that the, the governor and the legislator would be more civilized with each other? When you mention the, the, the term civility, John, that's what really was lost in this whole conversation. I'm not saying that the legislature didn't have the right to feel the way they felt. I'm not even saying that they had to vote for this candidate. But how do you point out who you're not going to vote for before they've even been nominated? And then when that occurs, you had to drag them to the table to even give the man a hearing where he performed very well. And then after that, you don't even allow it to go to the full Senate where he probably would have lost and you would have been well within your right to vote against him. Instead, you say, well, the committee vote stands. They're just totally rewriting the Constitution and, in, in my opinion, making a mockery of the system. Where else do we, uh, do we go, Governor? I mean, we talked about Albany. What a mess we have in our hands. Uh, do you think if they make the budget move part of the negotiation, maybe we can do some bail uh, reform and not having New York City go to crap? Well, that's distinctly possible. Uh, the, the governor will put out the budget itself on January 31st. So that's, uh, you know, to 10, 11 days from now. And we will find out, uh, you know, exactly what she wants. And the legislature has 30 days to respond. And then the budget is constitutionally scheduled to pass uh, uh, right before April 1st. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if things uh, get more difficult. But on another note, uh, our mayor, Eric Adams, went to visit the border uh, last week. He also um, made it clear after he went to visit the mayor of El Paso, he's talked to the mayor of Chicago, he is the one who is rallying these cities to demand that if the federal government is going to allow this number of migrants to come into the uh, cities every year in New York City will get a Madison Square Garden capacity uh, of people delivered to our city every uh, every day now. Um, Mayor Adams is uh, is standing up for the cities, and I think you're going to hear that he's going to get a lot of support over this. And uh, meanwhile, the federal government is mummified as to what to do with the migrants other than to try to make it the problem of the states and the cities. Governor, I met with uh, Mayor Adams after he returned from the border, and he was very, very angry that New York City had to pay the whole toll on, uh, on, on the problem. And uh, he said, I think it was in the papers that same day, that he, for 5,000 people that he has to put into hotels, it's $275 million of taxpayer money. Coming out of New York City's budget. And uh, Governor Hochul has publicly stated that she will try to do her share to help the mayor. But this is a federal government issue because the federal government was the one that got this idea to start bringing uh, uh, migrants in and shipping them to different parts of the country, knowing full well that most of these jurisdictions are filled to capacity even now. And I think he also said to me, and you know, don't quote me on it, 
that he's going to start sending some of those migrants upstate. If they could do a better job than the legislators are doing upstate, I'm for sending them right now. <laughs> I, would, I would send them into the districts of, uh, of the people that are sending them to us. <laughs> right. <laughs> Governor Patterson, I enjoy talking to you this Sunday morning, and uh, God bless America. Thank you so much, Governor Patterson. With us today is former Congressman Peter King, and there's so many things going on in New York City, New York State, Long Island, where he, he's from. Uh, Congressman King, where do we start from? John, I think we have to realize that I'm on Long Island. I've uh, I, I lived in Long Island for the last 55 years, but the reality is that uh, Long Island depends so much on New York City, and New York City depends on Long Island. And the numbers coming out of New York City are very sad, really, very depressing. The fact that I think the year before we had like 61,000 people leaving New York City for Florida. And last year, or the, in 2022, we had 64,000. Overall, there's 300,000 people who have left New York State for Florida. And uh, many of those who left are the ones who had high incomes, people who worked hard, people who uh, just felt that they cannot take either the tax burden in New York or the uh, crime wave that we have and the uh, uh, you know, lack of uh, civility in the streets, the uh, quality of life crimes, all of that. And also the problems with many of the schools. So right now, I mean, uh, not only uh, do we have less people, but there's a lot less money coming in in revenue that's needed to, to stay, uh, sustain all the programs. And those programs are getting bigger because just uh, alone, the uh, what, 40,000 immigrants that have come in, illegal immigrants, will uh, 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 you know, come up to New York City and what that takes. So it's, uh, we have people who uh, have revenue uh, moving out. And people who are dependent on the, on the city and on welfare are moving in. This is a bad combination. Spoke to uh, Governor Patterson, and uh, uh, there's war going on in Albany, and and the, the the governor who might have the upper hand on the budget is now fighting on the budget. Uh, and I said to him on the fact that uh, uh, what happens with the bail law? May, can we negotiate something on the bail law? besides the judge. And he says that's a big possibility. Tell me the crime problems going on in our city and our, our, our uh, Long Island, Nassau County, Suffolk County, because I understand a lot of people are moving out of New York. No, they are. And the crime, the fact is, I think Keyshawn Sewell is an excellent commissioner. I think Mayor Adams is saying, saying more and more of the right things and taking some steps. And we have seen that, uh, for instance, murder is down, but crime overall is up by more than 30 uh, percent. The t- number of crimes today is so much higher than they were three years ago, before the bail reform, before the George Floyd riots, before the defunding of police movement. All of that has had a terrible, terrible impact on, on New York. The cops do the best job they can. Uh, to me, there's no doubt that the police commissioner is doing the best she can. I believe that uh, the uh, mayor wants to do the right thing. But I think it's really time for the mayor to stand up to the governor and stand up to the state legislature, really be strong and basically promise like a scorched earth policy. He's going to go everywhere, campaign against them, speak against them. He has the bully pulpit. He has the forum. He has the microphone. And to me, it's really time for him to start using it. He means well, but he's not dealing with people who he can really trust. I think he has to realize that. I'm not telling him how to do his job, but these people that he's dealing with in Albany, the Assembly and the state Senate leaders are so far to the left. I mean, the fact that 
they turned down the governor's uh, choice for chief judge the first and, time it's and, ever and happened. They actually screwed the governor because I don't know what the handshake deal was, but he she gave him the raise on December 31 before midnight and got nothing in return. Maybe she, she trusted them to do the right thing. I don't think, uh, to me, it's just one thing you should learn is you don't trust anybody in Albany, especially the leadership team that's in there now. It used to be you could when you had uh, a speaker and a majority leader that you could trust, where the governor, you know, they could fight it out, but they had a working relationship. And at the end of the day, they, you know, they kept their word. Now, I just don't see that happening. So I think the uh, mayor has to get really tough. And I listen, I, I think the governor, I don't think she can back down on this. Even if she ends up losing in the end, she's got to fight this all the way out. People have to see that she's going to stay in there and fight. You've always said she's a tough Irish lady, and she hopes she proves it this time. Uh, she has to go to court to say that the full Senate has to vote, not just the, uh, uh, you know, the one committee which turned down the nomination of the uh, of uh, Judge LaSalle the other day. She has to go to court to insist on a full vote by the entire Senate, and then she has to put all the pressure she can on enough Democrats to vote with Republicans to get uh, uh, Judge LaSalle through. I said, I'd rather get down fighting than just quit, because if she quits, they're going to roll over her for the next four years. If she quits and doesn't put up the, a great fight, and, and according to Governor Patterson, she's capable of winning that fight on the budget, then, then she's no longer going to be the governor. It's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be the, the legislature. And I agree. I, I, I've supported her. I think she's one tough Irish girl. And it's time, I, my advice to Governor Hochul, it's time to be a tough Irish girl. If you can't let this, this, these characters run the state, I mean, be turning the state over to the progressives and the Assembly and the Senate. It's the end of New York. It, it is the end, and the, if we're talking about 60,000 leaving and 300,000 leaving, those numbers are going to double and triple over the next few years. People are going to be getting out of here while they can. There's two minutes left, uh, and let's go to Washington. What the heck is going on in Congress? Well, as you know, there's going to be a battle over the uh, debt ceiling. You and I agree that in the end it's going to be resolved. But uh, I think, for instance, uh, as far as New York is concerned, we have all the problems with George Santos. But leaving that aside, uh, I, uh, this week was at the uh, swearing-in ceremony, the uh, ceremonial swearing-in ceremony for Anthony D'Esposito, who's the congressman in the third Congressional District, which is almost the entire town of Hempstead, from Seaford on the east uh, all the way to Valley Stream on, on, on the west, includes the city of Long Beach. And again, it was a tremendous turnout. Al D'Amato was the uh, uh, officer who swore him in. I had the opportunity to speak. Chairman Joe Cairo had the opportunity to speak. And it was just a very well attended. I mean, a massive, massive crowd. Hundreds and hundreds of people were there. It was held in the Nassau Police Training Facility building, a state-of-the-art building. Uh, Anthony gave a great speech, and again, they, his, his first week they're delivering. They they voted in, this, in the House to uh, knock out those uh, eighty-seven thousand new IRS agents, and that's just the first step in fighting back. So uh, things aren't as bad as they seem. Uh, it's up to the people that yeah, we elected in the last election uh, to uh, get the job done. Nicola Loda, Anthony, uh, Andrew Gabarino, Anthony Esposito, Mike Lawler, Mark Malinaro, and Nicole Meliotakis. They're in there fighting for us all the way, and we have to stand behind them. The sixty-four. Th last question, the $64,000 yeah. question. If there was something good for New York and, uh, and, and Senator Schumer was voting for it and uh, Hakeem Jeffries was voting for it, would some of the New York State 
Congress people, should they give them enough votes to make sure something good happens in New York? To me, you always have to put uh, a New York interest first, unless it's something that's terribly wrong for the country. Listen, uh, politics is the art of compromise. And so long as you're getting more than you give away, that's the idea of moving it forward. And Chuck Schumer can be a real fighter for New York. Many issues I would disagree with him on. But when it comes to New York, if he can get programs in there, like 9-11 health care, for instance, because that's still about 2 or $3 billion short, uh, issues like that, money for mass transit funding, yes, all of that. To me, it's up to them to make the decision as it comes along. They have to weigh the good versus the bad. You're never going to get a bill that's all good, especially when you're the minority party overall. The yes. Republicans are the majority in the House, but they're the minority in the Senate and the presidency. So I'm, I'm, I'm confident they will make the best deals they can for New York, and they'll decide their vote accordingly. Congressman Peter King, have a great weekend, and we'll catch up again real soon. Terrific. Thank you, John. To my friends in New York, say hello. Welcome back. To the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. This morning we have Zach Williams, the New York Post editorial uh, and uh, star reporter for Albany. And uh, let's find out. There's so many things happening in Albany. Let's see what Zach has to say. Zach, there's so many things happening, so many moving parts in Albany. Where do you think we are? Well, the talk of the town really is this embattled nomination of Hector LaSalle to lead the state's highest court. Governor Kathy Hochul, you know, faced an unprecedented defeat on Tuesday when the Senate on Wednesday, when the Senate Judiciary Committee voted down her nominee to be chief judge of the Court of Appeals. And while she has yet to throw in the towel, it just seems to get worse and worse for her. You know, uh, not only did she get. You know, this again, and no governor has ever had a judicial nominee voted down before. And while the governor is is claiming that she is going to sue, you know, the Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins came out just a little bit ago earlier today on Friday saying that, you know, this nomination is basically over. She would be happy to work with Hochul on uh, on uh, on on another nominee. But, you know, all this talk about the process being unfair is a bunch of nonsense. And it appears that, you know, Hochul, even if she somehow could force a four vote through the courts, just will never get 32 votes to get this guy confirmed. And, you know, some people are saying this is kind of a paradigm shifting moment in Albany. You know, 2006, there was a big lawsuit, long story, but basically it ushered in an era of strong governors culminating in Andrew Cuomo and now we're seeing the legislature assert itself potentially in an era-defining way. I spoke to Governor Patterson before, and uh, uh, he was the former governor, and he felt that if the budget is coming up, that the budget, she could hold it up until she makes a compromise on everything else. What say you? Well, anything's possible in Albany, and David Patterson, <laughs> more than anyone, has seen a thing or two in his uh, storied career. So there is a plausible path for LaSalle to get approved. You know, Hochul could hang on to it, play on the legal technicalities, and basically, you know, hope that maybe if she plays super tough in the budget process, that would somehow get the state Senate to change its mind. But, you know, she again, she's facing a, a formidable rival rival here in, in state senator Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and it's becoming less and less about LaSalle and his confirmation, more about 
state Senate Democrats versus the governor. And the more that the governor pushes the envelope, the more I suspect, at least, that we're going to see even senators that support LaSalle. And again, there's only about four of them, four out of 42 Democrats right now that have even said that. You know, we're going to start circling the wagons around their leader and say that we're going to protect her, you know, at an institutional level against the governor who does not take defeat. You know, again, she still gets to choose who's chief judge, but it surely looks like if not the fat lady has sung, then someone who surely looks like one uh, is getting ready to take the stage. Bottom line, we got the budget problem or the budget. We have the bail law uh, we have uh, uh, the judge. What other, is there another problem that we haven't talked about yet? Oh, boy. Well, there's also a looming fight over uh, her proposal to mandate the electrification of new buildings starting, I believe, in 2028. Um, and, you know, the budget is just a sprawling, you know, $200 billion plus spending plan. There'll be plenty of fights when the governor unveils her budget legislation sometime later this month that she's going to enter negotiations in a very weakened form. You know, she won election just a couple of weeks ago and she's already spent a huge chunk of political capital on this chief judge nomination that just appears doomed to fail, yet she's still pushing it. What else would you like to tell uh, all New Yorkers? I mean, you're responsible for the whole state for the New York Post. Well, I just say that they should keep an eye on the budget. You know, that's where Albany really exerts a, a huge amount of its influence, especially over New York City and local governments across the state. You know, last year it was a $220 billion, that's a record, billion-dollar spending plan. You know, it might not top that amount this time around, but safe to say there will be plenty of things to talk about how Albany Democrats and Republicans, for that matter, want to spend taxpayer money. Zach Williams, thank you so much, and have a great rest of the weekend, and uh, we'll catch up again next week. Thanks for having me. With us today is Dr. Peter Mihalos, uh, and uh, he's always saying and doing something to make all our listeners live longer. Dr. Mihalos, what, what's, what do we want to talk about today? Well, today we're going to talk about an important topic that affects millions of people worldwide, and that's acid reflux disease. And basically, our mouth is connected to our stomach with a tube called the esophagus. And as it enters the stomach, there's a valve there that's a sphincter. And that valve, as long as it's tight, doesn't allow the acid to come up. In our stomach, we have hydrochloric acid, which breaks down and eats up the proteins that we eat. But if that acid gets back up into the tube, and when we're sleeping or lying down, it goes up into our throat. And it actually can tickle our throat and our vocal cords and cause them to be inflamed and generate a cough. And it's a big problem in the United States. And one of the things is because our diet has changed. Foods to avoid are carbonated drinks, peppermint, which actually works on lowering the pressure on that little sphincter and the acid comes back up. So I see all these people having all these mints all the time thinking it's going to help their stomach. It actually makes it worse and causes more acid to come up your pipe, the esophagus, up into your throat. Fried food, fast food, pizza, tomatoes happen to be very acidic, potato chips, caffeine, chocolate, alcoholic drinks, and citrus fruits like orange juice, lemonade, grapefruit juice, aggravated. Things that are good are vegetables, oatmeal, bananas, apples, pears, lean meat, seafood, things like Ed Whites. Those things are good. So you basically want to do portion control, and also you want to avoid 
late night meals because when you're lying down flat and if you have that reflux coming up, it irritates your throat and you end up sometimes with uncontrolled coughing. And many people go for a treatment for a bronchitis and other reasons for cough and take cough medicines, but it's actually reflux that's the problem. Another little tip for our listeners is sleeping with an elevated small rolled carpet between your mattress and box sprint so that your your chest is slightly elevated so that the acid tends to flow downward. Sometimes I'm, if I ate the wrong foods at night and I, I, if I lay too flat, I wake up at 2.30 in the morning with a, with a hot uh, it feels like acid going up my throat. Is that what we're exactly, talking about? Exactly what it is. But you may have noticed that since you do intermittent fasting, you don't get it as much because when you stop eating at 8, then you usually don't get that. It's the people who have those late-night snacks that get into trouble. And then there's other things that we want to warn our audience about is sometimes when a doctor can't find the reason for your cough, we've helped out a lot of people by telling them that 75% of cases of drug-induced coughs uh, for ACE inhibitors, and a common one is lisinopril. So people go around, they go multiple opinions. And I can't tell you how many times I tell people, are you on an ACE inhibitor? They go, yes. And they switched it and their cough goes away. And lastly, we both have a great friend in Pennsylvania who had a cough that was out of control and uh, nobody could help him. And we told him about neurogenic cough and you can take a medicine called gabapentin or neurontin prescribed by your doctor and that tells the nerves to calm down when you have this thing called neurogenic cough and it can calm it down 50 to 60 percent so those are just some of the tips to help keep our audience healthy and some of the tips to help prevent acid reflux and also stress doesn't help what else would you like to tell people i just want to tell people that uh, we're in the middle of uh, we seem to be coming out of the pandemic to continue to be vigilant if you're high risk and if you get covid please get treated go get tested because there's still flu around if you get positive for flu, get the oral antiviral pills. We're in a different place now because we're, uh, you know, we're not as dependent on the uh, vaccine immunity, which is only partial protection, just like the flu vaccine only protects 46% of the time. But uh, if you get uh, sick, please just get tested because now with all these urgent care centers, you can find out if you have strep flu or COVID very quickly, treat right away within the 72 hours and your chances of doing viral are really high, and always consult with your physician. And uh, we want, we're happy to share all these tips to try to keep our audience healthy and happy and living for a long time. Well, thank you, Dr. Peter Mihalos, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. And, and thank you for all the help you give all our listeners. Thanks for always getting the truth out, John. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.